We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Dear listener, welcome back. This is episode 127 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. It's currently the 22nd of December, 2017. Welcome to the program, dear listener. It's not easy being an amateur podcaster. Uh, For a start, this week, Scott and I and the 12th man had all sorts of Christmas functions to attend that made it very difficult to hook up and... Uh, 12th man, we just couldn't do. And Scott and I agreed, okay, 10am on Friday morning was going to be the one date that we could actually, or the one time that we could actually get together. And come 10 o'clock, I, um, I'm starting to hook up the Skype and I'm having some issues with that. And I think, oh, I'll just message, I'll message um, the Velvet Glove and just tell him that there's going to be a bit of a delay. And uh, look at my messages and lo and behold, Scott sent me a message already He'd um, he'd fallen down some stairs and was in hospital. And there was another message saying that he's broken his foot and he's getting a plaster cast put on it. So he's out for the podcast. <laughs> uh, and it's just going to be me. And uh, fear not, or, or dear listener, I sent him my thoughts and prayers and he responded and told me exactly where I could put my thoughts and prayers. So there you have it. We've done our best to try and get more than just me on this uh episode 127, well, and you will get more than me, because during the week I managed to hook up with um, uh, Hugh Harris, and he and I had a discussion, and the only way I could do that was to meet him in the city and find a quiet spot, and the best we could find was the uh, Brisbane City Council Library, where we got a room, and it wasn't the quietest of venues, but in the middle of Christmas shopping uh, in Brisbane, in the middle of the city, it was the best we can do. So you'll hear bits of that during this podcast. But dear listener, before we get on to Hugh and what we spoke about there, I'll go solo on just a few things that have happened since we last, um, well, since you last down, uh, since episode 126. And of course, the big one to come out was the final report from the Royal Commission uh, into... Uh, institutional responses to child sexual abuse. And they came out with some some more recommendations. In total, the Royal Commission has made 409 recommendations and 189 of those came out as part of their final report. And the key ones, of interest to me anyway, uh, number one, that uh, all churches, not just the Catholic Church, should not be exempt from reporting information discovered in religious confession. So they want, uh, they're recommending specific laws be put in place, making it an offence if a priest should fail to report uh, knowledge of child abuse that the priest becomes aware of during confession. So a tick on that one. Uh, second thing was that any religious organisation with a right of confession should implement a policy that confession for children be conducted in an open space in a clear line of sight of another adult. So 
essentially saying, Catholic priests, we cannot trust you to be alone with a child at all. Fair enough. The uh, third major one was that the Catholic Church should approach the Vatican and ask for the rules to be changed so that celibacy becomes a voluntary matter for the priests in the Catholic Church. That makes sense. Also, here's a good one. Candidates for religious ministry should undergo external psychological testing, including psychosexual assessment, to determine their suitability to be in the ministry and to undertake work involving children. What a great recommendation. It just goes one step too short, though. I mean, if this is a concern, then surely even existing personnel should undergo an external psychological testing. But, you know, anyway, if you're planning to become a minister in a church, you need to, according to the Royal Commission, there should be rules in place that you undergo external psychological testing, including psychosexual assessment. Finally, uh, any person in religious ministry who is the subject of a complaint of child sexual abuse, which is substantiated, and who is convicted of an offence, should be permanently removed from the ministry. You would have thought that would go without saying, but, you know, that's one of the things that they have to have to do. So there's, uh, there's five key recommendations for religious institutions and if that doesn't just shout out that uh, we as a society do not trust you in the least and in fact it's, it's a scathing and damning sort of indictment on these groups that we've had to spell out these sorts of measures. So good on the Royal Commission, sensible recommendations clearly needed in light of just awful practices that have been going on in the churches. And you may be wondering, how have the churches responded? And no prizes for guessing the answer is not appropriately. And just in terms of the Catholic Church, at least, the Archbishop of the Archdiocese of Melbourne, uh, Dennis Hart, responded by saying... The seal of the confessional was inviolable and cannot be broken, he said. If someone confessed to abusing children, he would encourage them to admit to their crimes outside of the confessional so it could be reported to police. But he wouldn't force the issue, is what he's saying. I would feel terribly conflicted and I would try even harder to get that person outside confessional, but I cannot break the seal, he said. The penalty for any priest breaking the seal is excommunication. Well... If you had any moral fibre in your body, you would be happy to accept an excommunication from your church if it meant that some pedophile was prevented from continuing his despicable practice. But, oh no, for these priests, their allegiance is to the church first and foremost. Uh, He also said that the Royal Commission, quote, hasn't damaged the credibility of the church. (laughs) And he's not alone. It's not like he's a renegade, you know. He's the Archbishop of the Archdiocese of Melbourne, Dennis Hart, but he's not alone. Uh, Archbishop of Sydney, Anthony Fisher, 
like Hart, he dismissed calls to change confession, change, changing reporting of abuse that comes to light through confession, he said, was a distraction. Uh, any proposal to stop the practice of confession in Australia would be a real hurt to all Catholics and Orthodox Christians. We know very well that institutions who have celibate clergy and institutions that don't have celibate clergy both face these problems. We know very well that this happens in families that are certainly not observing celibacy. So uh, on the confession side of things, his concern is it would cause real hurt to Catholics and Orthodox Christians. What about the hurt to the children? He doesn't think that that balances up. And on celibacy, the point is that the Catholic Church is by far the worst offender when it comes to the abuses against children that's been revealed by the Royal Commission, and they're the ones with the celibacy rule, and there's clearly a link between the two. So there's just an increased risk to children when you've got priests sworn to celibacy. And and once again, uh, it all comes down to priorities and these guys prioritize the church above the rest of society how we can continue to give them advantages and privileges is beyond me so anyway that's the royal commission that's the responses of the churches uh we'll see what happens as things develop over the next few months as to what um what new laws the various state governments introduced that have been, you know, the laws that have been recommended by the Royal Commission and we'll see the battles that that are created as a result of that. So um, so I did mention that I, uh, I managed to catch up with Hugh Harris during the week and what I'll do here is play a little bit of the first part of our discussion which dealt with... Um, the idea of religious freedom at an abstract level and my attempt to define uh, freedom of religious belief versus freedom of religious practice and a few other things. So I'll play that, I'll play that part of our uh, discussion first off now. Hugh Harris, welcome to the podcast. It's late December 2017 and we're going to talk all things religious freedom, I believe. Great. Good to be back. Yes. So what, um, I mean, you're an avid listener to the podcast. You've heard my theories on religious freedom and you made a suggestion you're perhaps going to you know, argue with me on a point or two or, or what are your thoughts on, on the whole issue? Okay. Um, I can't remember what I said I was going to, I thought we might argue about, but I... I probably agree in most part with the things that you've been saying about religious freedom. One of my main concerns at the moment is the Ruddock's review into religious freedom. And my main point of contention is that I don't think religious freedom is understood correctly in general in the media, Mm. nor by politicians. And it's tending to take on um, this sort of power of its own as almost a reverse... Uh, challenge to secularism when in actual fact its meanings are overlap considerably with secularism mm. so my view on religious freedom is that it's arisen after centuries of religious intolerance 
and was mainly to protect the rights of minority communities and individuals to be able to hold whatever religious belief or belief that they want to hold uh, in in societies with a dominant uh, religious religious belief system. It doesn't protect only uh, faith-based beliefs. It uh, protects um, atheistic beliefs. Um, it, it protects the right to change one's belief from one to another. And the right to manifest religious belief is not absolute and is limited. So it protects the right to hold beliefs, but it doesn't protect the right to manifest one's beliefs in every regard. And I get my meaning of what religious freedom means from the um, United Nations Declaration of Human Rights and the International Covenant um, of um, Political, the ICCPR. Um, And that's where it describes uh, what religious freedom means, and I think that's what the broad understanding of religious freedom is throughout the world and how it should be accommodated. However, the religious right, and particularly coming out of the right wing in the States, has promoted this idea of religious freedom as being a bit of a tool to for traditionalism and to to perpetuate um, politics and religious values that are traditional concepts. So keeping the idea of the family uh, sacred, uh, opposing same-sex marriage, opposing um, rights for uh, gay people, and seeking to um, maintain exemptions to general laws on the basis of a perceived right to hold a religious belief and uh, and that that should override secular law, which I don't think is a correct understanding of what religious freedom means. I've got an issue with okay. just the phrase religious freedom because it is so vague and I think it's just a clever... It's clever wording that's used by the religious right, basically. And I think if I was involved in any panel discussion where people started talking about religious freedom, I'd say, hold on a minute, you know, we're not talking about freedom as such. We're talking about special privileges, is, is what we're talking about. It's, it's not a freedom, it's a special privilege that you are seeking in this case. So mm. um, if you did want to use the expression freedom of religion, I think you have to add an extra word onto the end of that. And it has to be either freedom of religious belief or freedom of religious practice. So I was looking at um, some of... This is what my life has degenerated to, (laughs) Hugh. I've I've been reading um, some of the US case, Employment Division v Smith. This is the famous case of... uh, Justice Scalia. Are you familiar with Scalia? Yeah, very right-wing uh, Yes, uh, Supreme Court justice. Yes, yeah. very pro-religious um, justice. Yeah. And, uh, and oh, dear listener, just as some background to it, uh, this was a case where um, there were some American Indians who were smoking a drug called peyote as part of their... Um, sacramental purposes as part of the Native American church. And that was without dispute, that that was part of, of their religious practice in this Native American church was smoking this uh, prohibited drug. They were fired from their job and under the state law at the time, if you were fired from your dr- job because of illegal activity, then you couldn't get unemployment benefits. 
It's a tough world over there no, in the it's US. It's shocking, yeah. It's a tough world. So anyway, they were saying that this was a breach of their right of religious freedom uh, under, under their First Amendment, which is very similar to our Section 116. And, um, and the interesting thing in this is Scalia, because it was dealing with Native American church rather than Christianity, was, was quite scathing of the concept of special exemptions for these, this, these Indian characters. And he basically made the distinction between religious belief and religious practice, and that a, a law like this one that said you know you don't have to provide unemployment benefits and you can sack people because of these this drug taking even though he said that's a practice within the uh within the native american church of smoking this drug but it's not the belief and so it's not uh forcing anybody to have a different belief but it is uh contravening their practice and that was the distinction that, that he made yeah. and um, he, he actually said um, let me just find it here um, that um, while they cannot interfere with mere religious belief and opinions they may with practices uh, can a man excuse his practices to the contrary because of his religious belief to permit this would be to make the professed doctrines of religious belief superior to the law of the land and, in effect, to, to permit every citizen to become a law unto himself. Yes. So if a, if a law inadvertently um, stops somebody from a particular religious practice, then you have to suck it up. Mm. So if a law saying you've got to marry or you've got to supply wedding cakes to everybody causes you to inadvertently contravene your religious practice, well, suck it up. That's essentially what he was saying. Mm. You can still have your belief, but it's your practice that the other laws are, um, are, are outweighing your right to practice a particular religious doctrine. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd be saying to people, if you're talking about freedom of religion, aren't we talking about freedom of religious belief? And by all means, you've got that freedom. Believe yes. what you like. But when it comes to freedom of religious practice, uh, there might be other laws we've decided come into play that outweigh uh, your your practice. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would agree 100% with his his verdict. I mm. think it seems very sensible. But obviously, I wonder if he would come down with that verdict if it was a uh, if it was one of his own beliefs that was that was at stake. If it was manifesting a form of Christianity. Yeah. But the other thing that that comes into is. The next stage where he might form a different view is when it was an organisation which is a religious organisation, particularly a Christian one, mm -hmm. that services the public, such as a school or a, uh, or a hospital or some sort of organisation which has a uh, religious purpose or part of it. It's a business, but it might have partly a re religious purpose. Then I'm sure yes. his view would change quite significantly. So. I think there's a distinction there between those sort of cases mm -hmm. where the law should apply to all individuals equally. Yep. However, I do think there are some areas where exemptions are justifiable. Mm -hmm. For instance, if you are a member of, say, a, um, 
an organisation that campaigns for certain issues, you would certainly only hire people who agree with those opinions to campaign on the issues. Yes. And similar thing as regards churches. Um, to some extent, schools uh, have some rights to discriminate for people who are actually doing work which is consistent with the teachings, such as being the instructor, being a Bible lessons instructor. Yes. You would expect that person to believe in those things and and not to go elsewhere and deny all of those beliefs. I think that's fair enough. Yes. And I think in those cases, we should get to it, but I want to preface that by just going over Article 18 a bit. Mm. Um, Those cases are going to offer some justification, but then there are certain rules which are quite self-evident we should put in place to allow people to have exemptions, but to disallow people to, to discriminate, obviously, as has been as has been happening in in numerous cases that have been in the public. So my main um, point of grievance is to get across... I I don't have a problem with the term religious freedom. Mm. Uh, I have a problem with how it is used as a Trojan horse for religious privilege, so we probably Mm. agree there. Mm. And particularly in the States, they adopt the term religious liberty to try to invoke this light-on-a-hill type of uh, (laughs) propaganda that, that, that elevates it to an actual human rights so that you can make sure your your religious beliefs trump the rights of others. But um, I think it's important that, it, that people understand what religious freedom is, where it comes from. Its progenitor is um, freedom of thought. And Article 18 of the International Covenant of Civil and Political Rights states that everyone shall have the right to freedom of thought, conscience and religion. The right shall in, include the the freedom to have and adopt a religion or belief of his choice or freedom individually or in a community and and to manifest his religion or belief in worship, observance, practice or teaching but limited freedom to manifest one's religion or beliefs may be subject to limitations as is prescribed in law and are necessary to protect public safety, order, health and morals, etc., well, that's exactly what I was saying earlier. You can have your freedom of belief, but yep. it's your it's your freedom of practice that might be impinged by other laws, and that's what the, that yeah. article's saying. It's it's what it's saying. A couple of other things. One of the general comment number two: uh, belief and religion should be interpreted broadly. Article eighteen protects theistic, non-theistic, and atheistic beliefs, as well as the right not to. Pre- as well as the right not to profess any religion or belief. So those terms, belief and religion, are to be broadly construed. It's not limited in its application to traditional religions or to religions and beliefs with institutional characteristics or practices analogous to those of traditional religions. So it views with concern any tendency to discriminate against any religion or belief for any reason including the fact that they are newly established or represent religious minorities that may be the subject of hostility on the, on the part of a predominant religious community. So the whole tone of all of this has quite a different, a different um, focus than trying to protect the religious beliefs um, of a certain minority of the dominant religious belief in society. So it's not, it's not designed to protect people's religious convictions from mm. the law mm. it's it's designed to protect their right to hold those beliefs and ma- manifest those beliefs within the limits of the law and, and in accord with the other 52 uh, the other 52 articles 
yes. which include equality and other freedoms. And yeah, okay. But your <laughs> average Australian isn't going to be too concerned by Article whatever in the UN Charter. Let's face it. They're just going to think, what's a fair go here? What's fair and reasonable? Yeah. And, Hugh, I was astounded in the essential report survey when they asked people, you know, do you think service providers such as for weddings, such as venue hire or wedding cake providers, should be allowed to refuse to supply a same-sex wedding? This is only uh, 20th of November. Mm-hmm. 2017. Yeah. Asked a thousand Australians, 43% think that's okay. That is an amazing figure that, that they would think that's accepted. That's the problem we've got is that so many people have been conned by the notion of freedom mm. as to think that's acceptable. And you've probably heard my arguments with the 12th man. And, I have. And, and, <laughs> I am flabbergasted that 43%. Are you are you shocked by that figure? I'm not as shocked. And to be honest, I have some sympathy with the opposite view. Right. The, 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 uh, when we first started discussing this a couple of years ago with yeah. the Rationalist Society, we, we came up with the view that um, businesses in general shouldn't discriminate. However, if... Um, the business has a religious focus to it, then it can discriminate, but it must state uh, what sort of services it will provide. Right. So, um, so for instance, everyone who makes cakes doesn't have to make a cake. Hang, hang from, on, before we go any further. So this is your. This was the decision of the rationalists at the time, and still is. Or no, I don't okay. think it still is. Okay. No, I think it was a position we we developed temporarily at, at, held at, at, right. at the time, right. and. Um, I think it's a spurious issue myself. I think the amount of cake makers who are going to be inconvenienced by this pales in comparison with the discrimination faced by um, different members of the community, especially the gay community. I think it's a ridiculous issue. It's risen. It's arisen as a, a push button so people can be outraged about it and distract from the main, the main issue. I don't think it, 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 there's been maybe one case in the states, a couple of cases. Yes. At the most, which were both sides being a bit, a little bit um, determined to get into a legal fight. I don't think it's going to be an issue here. I think if, um, but we had temporarily had the position that if you didn't want to provide cakes for any sort of wedding, yep. you specified what weddings you did and what weddings you didn't. You made that totally clear, and um, you had to have a solid reason for doing so. And if you did that, I don't think anyone, I don't think there'd be too many people who'd be interested in buying cakes from that that sort of supplier. It was interesting, the um, the outrage that was generated with Cooper's um, Brewery when they, in the same-sex marriage debate, yes. when they hosted a debate between Tim Wilson and one other, and, yes. and they supported the uh, Bible Society yes. and were seen to be supporting a traditional view of marriage. Pubs just stopped supplying them, and they face such a backlash that they completely recanted their whole position. So I think some of these things have a way of working themselves out when the majority is, is you know, when social attitudes have changed yes. and certain people are trying to hold um, traditional views against the tide and the law has changed. I think, uh, I think it's a difficult thing to do. I agree. I think it's a difficult issue, and I, I'm not totally surprised that 43% say that. 
I don't, I don't particularly agree with it. I think there should be no skin off anyone's nose who they're supplying cakes to or for, or for what purpose. Yes. But you can certainly see that the issue becomes a bit tricky when you talk about uh, no one would have a problem with uh, Christian priests uh, refusing to do gay weddings because of their beliefs. Yes. Or, or, um, well, 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 would you? Well, here's my solution to that. You've probably heard it before. It should really see the um, the act of being married now has such uh, legal ramifications in our society that really we should view that as a as a secular um, registration to be married. And if somebody wants a, a religious ceremony on top of that, well, good luck to them. Mm. And, and mm. for that, a priest can discriminate. But if they're actually conducting... Uh, you know, they're a subcontractor of, of a marriage registry. Mm. And I think for that, they should um, accept any and all comers. So I think it should be split up where... In fact, religious groups should be um, made the offer. Do you are you prepared to? We're prepared to subcontract to you the ability to marry people, so that they don't have to do in the registry office. And if you want to take on that subcontract, you have to agree to marry everybody. If you don't want to do that, uh, then you're limited to uh, religious ceremonies which have no legal significance. That'd be fair enough. Yes, but I'm not sure why why it would be why it would be necessary to be so punitive to well, to them. They can do their weddings, and they, at the moment they can they can deny them. And to be honest, I don't think it's discrimination because I don't know why if you if you were gay and wanted to get married uh, and you knew that the church had views opposing your views I don't know why you'd want to insist that they that they marry you, you like, but when you've got other op- when you've got yes. so many other options so it's not yes. that it's I don't think it's equitable to be compared with the Miss- Mississippi in the in the 60s where um, people were segregated to the back of the bus or they were refused service for basic necessities yes it's not compar- it's, it's not exactly comparative to that particularly since attitudes have changed in that regard. Give, give religious people an inch and they'll take a mile with <laughs> you. You should know that. Yeah, but I still, think, I, I still think we have to... I think it's reasonable that laws will be devised um, bearing in mind the beliefs of all people. Yes. And uh, as they become the minority, then their religious freedom is going to be something that's going to be subject to... Increasingly, people... Uh, probably holding beliefs similar to yours and mine will, will seek to limit um, the right to manifest uh, religious beliefs and I don't think that would be a good thing mm. I think it would be better for, for people like us to be standing up for the beliefs of all people mm. You understand that my proposal there is actually done in many countries that way, you're aware of that? No, I wasn't aware yes. of that So it happens in, in uh, Japan, happens in um, Italy and many European countries where you go to a registry office to get married, and then optionally you go to a church for a religious ceremony. In Italy? Yes. That's what uh, uh, the Velvet Glove told me. Italy was one. But so, anyway. the, so the Catholic Church has to marry gay couples in Italy? No, because I'm saying you go to the civil, cere- you get the civil registry first, mm. where you get married, yeah. and 
then if you are Catholic and you want to have a religious ceremony, you can ask for that from the Catholic Church. And of course, if you're gay, you want you know they, they won't marry you, but that's okay. You've already had the civil marriage in yeah. the registry office. But you didn't, yeah. you said earlier though that the, the religious institution has to marry you no matter what. No, no I'm I'm giving them the option if. If they if, sign if up, then I'm, they have I'm, to marry. I'm, I'm removing from them the ability to make a legal marriage, and then I'm saying, if you want that ability to to do a legally binding marriage, you have to agree to certain conditions. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. yeah, that would be reasonable. Oh, there we go. Yeah, but I, I don't think it's a. It's I just don't happen. think it's something. It's not going to happen. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not going to happen. But, but ethically, it's consistent and correct. Because yeah. you were saying, well, I don't think people have a problem with you know religious people um, being given the right to you know uh, refuse same-sex marriage, and that was my answer to that. So yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. But, so in that discussion, I uh, used Italy as an example, and since I've got the opportunity to. Um, edit or correct what I said there, I'll do that now, and I think Italy is actually a country where the Catholic Church can perform a legally binding ceremony. If I had referred to France instead, I would have been correct, and I've just quickly looked up an article after that discussion. Um, Basically, uh, from this article, it says, uh, in France, by contrast, Religious marriages are not recognised and must be preceded by a civil ceremony under rules dating from the 1804 Napoleonic Code and the 1905 Separation Law. Versions of the same procedure apply in Belgium, Luxembourg and Switzerland, while in Spain and Germany a legally binding marriage must also be conducted by a state official. So... Various countries have various systems, but certainly the requirement of the state, as in the government, performing the civil service and religious groups being conducted to mere religious ceremonies, that's a practice that goes on in various countries around the world and uh, is not uncommon. Okay, so edited that. And what um, I'd like to do now is... Dear listener, we have a voicemail option on our website where you can click on a button and leave us a voicemail message and we got a lovely message from Streetwalker. So I'll play that one now. It's 5.30am, a a chilly negative five degrees on a Beijing street and the pollution, it's pretty awful. But this morning's going to be okay. Last night I got to download the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove podcast. So this morning on the bus, not only will it be nice and warm, but I'll have the pleasure of the company of the Fist, the Glove, maybe Right Wing Tony, maybe Twelfth Man, maybe Squeaky Wheel, who knows? Anyway, guys, thanks for making this morning's bus ride a little nicer. Thank you, Streetwalker. That warmed the cockles of our heart. Um... Great message. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Streetwalker is actually one of our patrons, and a big thank you to our patrons. They are Ayami, James, Selena, Sean, Alex, Wayno, Jason, Grant, John, Craig, and Janelle. Thanks, guys, for, for making the effort to pop onto the website, 
clicking on the Patreon link, putting your credit card details there and uh, sending us a few dollars every episode. Much appreciated. Um, helps cover a few expenses. Big thanks especially to uh, Sean, who is... Uh, it was his idea to start a Patreon account. He's been a huge supporter and he's spent uh, quite a bit of time for me helping to shift the website onto a different server, um, trying to lower costs and things like that. So good on you, Sean. Thanks, mate. Uh, really appreciate that as well. So thank you to the patrons um, for your support during the year. And dear listener, it's not too late before Christmas. If you're listening to this and you want to send us a present, hop onto the Patreon account and uh, become a patron and help us out. Dear listener, as we have mentioned on a few occasions in recent times, Philip Ruddock is heading up a panel who are looking at protection of religious freedom. And there's some characters on that panel, including Philip himself, who are not disinterested um, participants in this. So he's previously expressed views that would indicate that he's not particularly secular. They've got... uh, Um, Father Frank Brennan on the panel and, you know, Jesuit priest, of course he's going to be in favour of um, special religious privileges and he's previously declared that he would rather go to jail than break the seal of the confessional, yet he's given a seat on a panel um, to help determine what privileges religions should get. Uh, A... uh, a, a Professor Aroni has been added to the panel in recent times and he's suggested that allowing people to conduct um, some sort of Sharia law type mediation processes is a good idea. He still thinks that the final decision should be governed by our normal Australian common law but he's saying that if people want to participate in some sort of Sharia law mediation process, then that should be allowed. And a friend of mine, Alice, on her Facebook page had posted something about that and some people had gone on and said, well, that doesn't sound too bad if culturally people want to um, enter into some sort of uh, culturally familiar negotiation process, then why not? And my answer to that would be, that if I was a Muslim man and I was separating from my wife and hoping to get the best deal possible I could, then I would be ecstatic to have the initial negotiations conducted in a misogynistic Sharia court where she will be browbeaten by people telling her that she doesn't deserve much. And sure, ultimately the family court will examine any agreement and determine whether it is appropriate or not. But there's always a range in these things. And you could say a fair agreement might see the wife getting, you know, 60% or perhaps 70% of the assets. And if she's been browbeaten by in a Sharia arbitration process, she's more likely to end up at agreeing to a 60% process and not pushing for what she might otherwise be entitled to. So I don't see that that Sharia mediation process could be fair and the thought that we could allow women to be subjected to that uh, to me is not what a civilised society should do and anyone who calls himself a feminist who doesn't stand up and complain about this isn't a true feminist. So 
There you go. There's my thoughts on that. But anyway, uh, on that panel, Hugh and I have a bit of a discussion about the panel, and I'll play that now. But Hugh, um, the uh, panel for reviewing religious protection. Yes. Ruddock as the head and Father Brennan as one of the panel members and some character who's favourable to Sharia law. Professor Nicholas Aroni, I believe his name is. Is anybody else in the secular community and the rationalists or whatever as as worried about this panel as I am? Yes, well I am. I've um, actually shared I think it was your petition about that, about saying or Brian Morris's petition about saying why is there no one who seems to be advocating secularism on this panel it seems awfully biased towards uh, religious privilege and I'm a bit concerned about the sort of things that they're going to come up with Yes, and it it seems to have been done as sort of a way of pacifying the hard right religious forces in the coalition but Ruddock was chosen, it was a weird choice given he was the person under the Howard government who initially banned uh, gay weddings. Yes, and he said some odd things about marriage ceremonies and Turnbull didn't have to do this. He could have just said it's over and done with, we've passed the legislation and you know we'll have further discussions in the party room, end of story. It's really, really disappointing that mm. he agreed to set up this panel just boom, like that, without, yeah. without calling for any submissions on who should be on it or just before you know it, the panels are created and it's worrying. Like, it is. I think it's worrying and what this is why I keep on banging on about what religious freedom really means mm. because when you see articles in The Australian and, and in uh, the press in general, hardly ever do you see these issues referred to as applying to beliefs outside uh, traditional Christianity. Yes, and in particular, religious freedom tends to only get brought up when protecting issues such as being able to discriminate against people in schools, yes. uh, opposing gay marriage, yes. and having exemptions from laws because of a certain tenet of Christianity that you happen to believe in. Whereas um, it very rarely gets brought into the discussion that you know the majority of Christians actually supported same-sex marriage. Yes. Their religious freedom is just as important. Yeah. You know, that character who's on this panel who's in favour of Sharia law... Um, I don't know much about him. Yeah. It, it could be a good thing because... Yes. I, yes. I know Dutton's onto this mm. and, and that, OK, it'll just highlight the fact that if you want religious freedom, that will mean necessarily all religions. Like, there's no way you're going to limit this to Christianity. So no. bear in mind, yeah. whatever freedom you give to Christianity, you are going to be giving to Islam. Yeah, and there's a lot of characters there who will be scared witless about that. So, having that guy on the panel may be not a bad thing for at least highlighting to the Christian groups. Hey, yeah, uh, showing them where the contradiction what, in their view lies. Yes, and whatever powers you're going to give to the Christian elements in society, you are also necessarily giving to the Islamic influences. And do you really want that? Yeah. I would have hoped to have seen that contradiction come to light with when we were talking about religious instruction in schools mm. and suddenly um, prayer meetings in um, certain schools in the western suburbs of Sydney were a subject of a lot of controversy because they were encouraging the kids to join up with ISIS and uh, promoting um, extremist uh, fundamentalist Islam and there was outrage about that Right, and yet 
it didn't seem to ring any bells towards yeah. the fundamentalist Christianity that's taught <laughs> in even uh, quite a few Queensland state schools. Yeah, yeah. So, dear listener, on that topic of the panel, uh, a friend of the program, one of our patrons, Wayne, said that he wanted to send an email to um, Malcolm Turnbull you know, complaining about the panel and asked if I could draft up something uh, suitable uh, that he could use as the as a template or a basis for his email. So anyway, um, quickly created a page on the website, dear listener, go to ironfistvelvetglove.com.au slash petitions. Uh, you'll see it on the main menu. And there's a little form you can fill in. And I've created a email, a draft email, which basically uh, is going to a fellow um, called Hughes. I can't, I can't remember his first name. Let me just see if I can find that. Um, bear with me a second. Um, this will go to Malcolm Turnbull's assistant, David Hughes. And you fill in the details, your details on the, um, on the form and you can read what I've written as an email for you and you can chop and change it and add and delete and do whatever you want to but it basically explains why it's, it's an abomination that we've got Philip Ruddock chairing this panel and we've got Father Frank Brennan on it. Uh, I actually wrote it a week or so ago so it doesn't refer to this Professor Aroni but uh, you can add that if you like. Anyway... Add your name to it and click sign now and that will send off an email to Malcolm Turnbull's assistant. Now that actually, without any, uh, a few people picked that up. I think Brian Morris and Hugh Harris and um, distributed that to different friends and 138 people have done it already. So hop on and and do that and let these guys know um, that this panel uh, is not... You know, the panel members is, is not representative, is not a fair, balanced uh, panel at all. So please go onto the website, um, fill in your name and and send off that email to let these characters know that this is just unacceptable. Still on the website, um, well, got a few, a couple of messages from some uh, new patrons. So uh, one of these was from... Let me just bring it up on the page here. Uh, this was from James. And uh, I think James, yeah, became a patron and he also sent a message saying, I stumbled on this podcast and enjoyed a number of podcasts. I love the deconstruction of the arguments and the range of topics, the input of the 12th man, right-wing Tony, and in particular Hugh Harris and objective morals and moral relativism. I am an atheist slash secularist. And we'd love to see you guys on Q&A. Keep up the great work. Secularism is a fight worth fighting for. Thanks, James. I've put that on our testimonial page. And also got an, uh, made contact. Or a lady called Selena got in contact with us. She was particularly interested in the grim fairy tales that the 12th man was talking about. If you remember, some of those stories were really quite bizarre. And the Disney version that we get is quite different to the blood and guts version that was originally written and uh anyway sent her a link to the original grim fairy tales and uh she sent back a message and i thought it was going to be a message like uh thanks guys appreciate it and she did uh but she also added um because i think i said thanks for signing up as a as a uh patron and she responded saying uh 
I've been listening for a year now and you haven't gotten any worse. <laughs> it's nice to hear a good Australian perspective with varying views. Keep it up. So, uh, <laughs> so thanks, Selena, who's been listening for a while now and we haven't gotten any worse. So there's a, there's a glowing reference, if ever I heard one. Uh, made my day. Thanks, Selena. So anyway, returning to my discussion with Hugh Harris and we moved on to the topic of legal firms that are acting for the right-wing religious nutters and the need for an alternative legal force and we also spoke a little bit about the Rationalist Society. So that's coming up next. One other thing, Hugh, that struck me of recent times is uh, have you heard of the Human Rights Law Alliance? I have. Remind me. (laughs) (laughs) So they are the Human Rights Law Alliance. Sounds good. (laughs) But Scientology, aren't they? No, it's 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 a Christian legal group. So these are the ones who are funded in part by the ACL, and they are looking to help and to work pro bono wherever they can see um, the ability to promote, you know, Christian causes in, in the court system. So with the protesters outside abortion clinics who want to be able to do so, you know, within the exclusion zone, then Human Rights Law Alliance are, are acting for those people. And great? so, of course, America is riddled with groups like this. And in America, they have the um, Freedom From Religion Foundation who argue the opposite side. We in Australia, correct me if I'm wrong, are you aware of any legal group that does pro bono work to argue the other side? No. No, we're pretty poorly represented in Australia, I have to say. Can I put that on the rationalist? You're a board member of the Rationalist Society, Hugh. Yes. On the agenda, we need an equivalent in Australia yeah, of the point. Freedom from Religious, Freedom from Religion Foundation. So, in the um, in that masterpiece cake bakery case in the USA, yeah. For example, the Freedom from Religion Foundation and a couple of other atheist groups put in what's called an amicus brief. So this is a, a, a brief that if you're interested in this area and you're not a direct party to it, you know, you weren't the person buying the cake and you're not the cake, you're not acting for Cake Baker, but you're interested, you can put in your uh, submission to the court. And so this happens all the time where these, either the pro-religious group or the anti-religious group, put in these amicus briefs and um, uh, uh, we need some sort of Freedom From Religion Foundation to start up to provide the counterpoint for what's only going to get bigger from the Human Rights Law Alliance. Don't you love the, the, the terminology? Just, they're so disingenuous with their titles. No, I can't help but reacting with annoyance yeah. at hearing it. Yeah. Human rights, as if they care about human rights. Yeah. They're only interested in one human right. Christian one. <laughs> Yeah, so um, so for battling cases like that, it would be good. Mm. And at some stage, Hugh, we need to revisit Section 116 of the Constitution. At some stage, the, 
times have changed. Yeah. So with these citizenship cases, the court took a quite literal view of Section 44 and said, well, that's the meaning. These politicians are ineligible. They are dual citizens. And we don't really care that it's just going to muck up a lot of stuff. That's what the Constitution says. Too bad. Mm. That's the sort of court that might well look at Section 116 a different way and say, you know what, it's actually closer to the US First Amendment than we previously stated, and somebody needs to run a a Section 116 argument down the track. That's another reason for getting one. Yeah. Well, on that, I think it's interesting that the Establishment Clause in the US and our Section 116 are very similarly worded, though as we know... Ours has been interpreted so super narrowly that it's never really upheld any any religious uh, freedom issue on the way. Yes. But both those um, those parts of the Constitution or amendments to the Constitution have been held up for arguing for religious freedom. Yes. And secularism. Yes. These viewpoints, which in the minds of a lot of um, uh, pontificators, are opposing each other a lot of the time that those parts of law are protecting both and that highlights the huge overlap between secularism the separation of church and state which allowing people to um, manifest and hold their beliefs within the limits of the law really means the same thing as what religious freedom means and what it's intended to mean it's freedom of religion and freedom from religion at the same time yes it should be understood that way and I don't know why it isn't understood more generally and why we constantly read these articles in the media and these people putting their hands up for religious freedom to discriminate people when religious freedom is never adequately defined. Mm. No one ever defines religious freedom and then puts the argument as to why they're allowed to sack um, gay teachers or why they're allowed to discriminate against people who are in um, unwed um, de facto relationships or divorced relationships. Yeah, yeah. So... That survey report that said 43%, you know, I, I, um, I've I, got the feeling that if you just left me alone in a room with these people for five minutes beforehand uh, and then they were asked to answer the question, I could have got a different answer out of them. Yeah, I think, yeah. We, could, I think we would yeah. reduce the number of, that, of those people who are willing to allow people to be discriminated against dr- dramatically if they understood what religious freedom really mm-hmm. means and mm-hmm. it was... And they were um, convinced of that. Mm. Like when I say that religious freedom, I notice you looking at me with a little bit of scepticism. And like you said, you said earlier that yeah, but few people, your average punter is not reading the <laughs> international covenant of civil and political rights, and that's true. So you were mm. looking at me in a sort of sceptical way, as, as if, well, why are you promoting that argument? Right. Yeah. Oh, you're reading too much into my face, you. <laughs> <laughs> I, in my mind, and and splitting between freedom of religious belief and freedom of religious practice, yes. inserting that word where necessary. Yeah. 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 So in your view, it's the, the difference between holding a belief and manifesting a belief. Yes. That's a critical thing. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So Hugh, uh, while we've got you here, any, as a representative of the rationalists, anything happening there that we should be interested in? Um, should people be joining and signing up? Yes, there's uh, been a few more people joining up and um, a couple of um, high-profile ambassadors, including um, Gareth Evans. 
right, yes. Yeah, uh, ex-foreign uh, minister, highly um, decorated politician, well-known for having intelligent views on a number of things, so he's joined up and, and uh, quite a few others. I haven't been as involved uh, in meetings and things recently as, as I had in the past, but I think that's quite a, a, quite a good thing, and the rationalists are trying to uh, recruit and get as many people in the public eye to be um, ambassadors for the organisation. So they don't necessarily need to speak out on behalf or really publicise the, the fact that they're an ambassador. Yep. But where the opportunity arises um, to promote uh, rationalist beliefs or put the organisation forward um, to recommend it, um, but more, more so just to be associated, that person who holds similar views... It doesn't necessarily have to have views that are identical and there's a broad section of views within the RSA, as you know. So yeah. some people who hold religious convictions are part of the RSA. It's more a case that of promoting reason and yeah. um, pr- promoting a secular worldview. Yeah. Probably the two key things. If you become a member, you get a, you get a copy of the, of the journal. What's the journal called? Uh, it's just called The Rationalist, isn't the it? The Rationalist, How yeah. does that come out? Uh, every quarter, and featuring yourself this this quarter, which is uh, which has been a good innovation, and, and, and yourself as well. Oh yeah, yeah, I had one little article, but um, <laughs> no, you you had a good uh, review of the uh, what was the book again? Thinking was, fast and slow, which you put right? me onto in the first yeah. place. Yes. <laughs> yes, great book that everyone should listen to, uh, should read. But um, yeah, so that was um, yeah, it's good. I, I think everyone should uh, get a copy. They're in newsagents, or you. Uh, by becoming a member, you can um, sign up and get a coffee delivered to your house, and um, it's a good opportunity to actually write in and get published if you're interested in these issues as well. Mm-hmm. Very good, Hugh. Thanks for joining. Um, it's been limited appearances from you in 2017, but I'm hoping for more from you in 2018 if your <laughs> wife will allow it. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll be there for you and try not to let you down. But thanks for having me on. Okay, Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Hugh. <laughs> So there we go. That's episode 127, done and dusted. Not sure what we'll be doing next week. Maybe a highlights package of 2018. It all depends on how much time I can find, and we'll see what happens. Until then, thanks for listening. Bye. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, Tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't 
listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.